0: Church family, what a joy I have to be able to introduce to you our guest preacher for this morning. Uh, I have the great privilege to introduce to you Dr. Beck Taylor, who, as of this last July, became the 19th president of the 180-year history of Sanford University. So we welcome Dr. Taylor to Dawson, but he's no stranger to Dawson. He and his wife Julie is here, and his youngest daughter Chloe is also here. Many of you knew the Taylors' When from 2005 to 2010, Dr. Taylor served as the dean of the business school at Stanford University, after serving as the dean, he would go to be the president at Whitworth University in Spokane, and that uh, in, he served there for 10 years before coming back to be the president. Uh, the Taylors, uh, Dr. Taylor and Julie, they met at Baylor University, they've been married for 28 years, they have three children, Zachary is... Uh, a recording musician there in Nashville. Their daughter Lauren is uh, also a first year med student and recent graduate of Whitworth. And uh, Chloe, we're so glad you're here. Uh, Chloe was born in Birmingham and Chloe's a ninth grader at Bastavia And so uh, I am excited to be able to introduce him to those of you that do not know him but uh, you love Sanford and you're excited. Uh, Dawson represents a lot of different institutions in regard to schools, but there's no denying our close proximity to Sanford University. I am a graduate of Sanford's Beeson Divinity School and many people here today Have intersected or friends of Stanford. And so to have a a president of that institution that's a member here of our church, but we've been able to see the the fruit of his life and the fruit of his testimony in Jesus Christ has been tremendously encouraging to me over these last six to seven months. I've been able to hear in a variety of settings his his commitment to Christ, his testimony of faith in Jesus, and a commitment to a Christ-centered. Uh, University. And so uh, you're going to hear that and much more as Dr. Taylor comes to open up God's Word for us. So Dawson, would you extend a warm Dawson welcome to Dr. Taylor?
1: Thanks, Pastor. Good morning, church. Good morning, Dawson family. Uh, Thank you so much Pastor David, for that warm introduction, Uh, we're so grateful to you and to your leadership. Thank you for opening your pulpit to me today to come and preach God's Word. Uh, What a privilege it is to do that. We truly feel at home here, back here at Dawson. Thank you so much for uh, the welcome you have provided to Julie and to Chloe and me. I want to share with you just a, a brief story of our transition that I hope will give you some encouragement. Uh, it was earlier this year in January, I believe, that, that Julie and I began to sense that God might in fact be calling us back to, uh, to Birmingham and to Sanford and, uh, and, and perhaps even here to Dawson. And uh, many of you have had moments like this in your lives, right? Where you're seeking, you're desperately seeking God's Uh, wisdom and discernment as you're contemplating a major move for your family. That is where Julie and I were this January, praying that God would reveal himself in the midst of that search process. Well, uh, you'll remember we were in the middle of COVID protocols back in January. And so like many of you, we were worshiping at our local church there in Spokane online. But we also, perhaps like some of you, had the chance to worship in multiple congregations. For us, we worshiped at our family members' churches. Uh, I remember uh, worshiping one Sunday, three different worship services, you know, East Coast to West Coast, in our pajamas, of course, uh, worshiping there at home, but just really enjoyed that time of of getting to know our family members through their churches. Um, But one morning in January, it occurred to us that, well, if God is in fact maybe beginning to lay on our hearts a calling back to Birmingham to Sanford that maybe we should start worshiping once again here at Dawson. So we logged on and we immediately found ourselves immersed in what you will remember as Pastor David's sermon series earlier this year on Exodus. Exodus, what an appropriate topic for the Taylors as we were thinking about leaving our home there in Spokane. Julie and I, it was just so sweet. Julie and I had the opportunity to worship with you from a distance on a tiny screen from uh, nearly 2,000 miles away. Um, It made our hearts long to be with you. And for us, that was a sense of the spirit moving in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives, uh, a sweet affirmation of the calling that God was beginning to lay on our hearts. So thank you once again for being our church home for calling us back here uh, to Dawson. I want to say too, we are incredibly excited to be once again a part of the Sanford University family. What an amazing institution of higher education uh, Sanford is. It is a place that simultaneously lifts up quality academics, preparing women and men for lives of meaning and service and vocation, and also importantly an institution that upholds, that elevates, that points to the lordship of Jesus Christ and emphasizes the importance of integrating Christian faith and learning. Samford is a Christ centered university. I often say that Samford's mission begins with the great commandment and ends with the great commission. Jesus's great commandment to us, we know this, is to love God with all of ourselves, with our whole selves, heart, mind, soul, strength, and of course to love our neighbor fiercely, to love our neighbor. Students at Sanford then get to explore and to learn about God's creation and their place in it. Learning to love God in and through, studying God's created world is really what Christian education, really what Christian higher education is all about. It's within that kind of faithful environment that our students' minds are opened to the many, many ways God is summoning them into God's world. And in the process, our students are reminded of God's love and God's faithfulness uh, in their lives. Students are then also encouraged to learn what loving neighbor really means, what loving neighbor really looks like, to live in community, to serve others, to bring about healing and hope in a fractured world. Um, uh, to proclaim, to teach, to preach the love of God, the gospel of healing and salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that, that needs nothing more, in my opinion. So by God's grace, Sanford has, has been living out that faithful mission now for 180 years now. As pastor said, this congregation has such a rich and important history with Sanford University. And so on behalf of all of us at Sanford, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to this congregation, to this church, for your faithful witness in our community, to our students. You know so many Sanford students worship here. Thank you so much for the partnership uh, that we share. Um, As the president of a Christian university, I'm called upon uh, from time to time to preach. Uh, both on campus, and chapel, and at churches around the co- country. And, and so I want to give you fair warning this morning. Uh, you should know that I'm not a trained theologian, uh, nor am I a very experienced preacher. What Pastor failed to mention uh, in his very generous introduction this morning is that, in, in fact, I'm an economist by training. This may be the first time an economist has ever brought the message at this church— Pastor, you should be um, thanked for your courage, I think. Uh, I'm reminded of the old joke that God created economists only to make weather forecasters look good. (laughs) In all seriousness, uh, uh, though, this morning, I come before you as, as nothing more, nothing more than a sinner, a sinner saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a privilege and honor it is for me to share God's word with you this morning So now that I've sufficiently lowered expectations, um, we can get started this morning. I love the Psalms. A couple of years ago, I was encouraged to spend several months praying through the Psalms, using the words of the psalmist uh, as a reflection of my own heart to try to adopt those words that the psalmist writes in my expressions of love to God. It was, I will admit, the first time in my life that I'd really spent a lot of time uh, with the Psalms. Uh, it was a transformative experience for me. I love the Psalms for a lot of reasons, but, but here's perhaps the chief reason. As we read through the Psalms, we're encouraged to bring our whole selves to God, to bring our whole selves to God our joy, our happiness, our fears, our anxieties, our sin, our depravity, our hope, our victory our failure, our lament, our whole selves. We don't don't do that very much. We don't do that, do we? Um, Bring our whole selves much to anything. No, in fact, our culture really, I think, teaches us not to do that. You see, if we were to bring our whole selves to our relationships and to our churches Our homes, into our workplaces, or our communities, then I think we would have to admit that we are often people who are far, far from the carefully crafted and curated images that we've created for ourselves. I suspect that for many of us, our whole selves might be virtually unrecognizable from the little bits, the little pieces that we've chosen to show the world, real or contrived. After all, we're taught in our culture that image is everything, image is everything. Now, I know this is gonna date me just a little bit, but how many of you remember former tennis star Andre Agassi? Andre Agassi um, uh, did a a set of commercials for the Canon Rebel camera. Oh, we've got a picture of Mr. Agassi up here. Um, Image is everything was the tagline of this particular advertising campaign. Now, I have to admit to you, uh, Andre Agassi was one of my heroes growing up as an aspiring tennis player myself. As Canon Rebel went out to find someone to be the spokesperson for their product, they went out and truly found a Rebel. Andre Agassi was a tennis superstar back in the 1980s and 90s. He was the number one men's tennis player in the world at this time. Now, I'm going to geek out a little bit on you here, uh, tennis-wise. He's the first male player to win all four Grand Slam tennis tournaments on three different court surfaces, hard, clay, and grass. He earned over $100 million dollars in prize winnings in endorsement money throughout his career he was known in addition for being a little bit of a rebel he was known for his hair he was known for his rock star personality his stone washed denim tennis shorts of which i had three pairs (laughs) and of course for marrying heartthrob brooke shields i even had hair like his once But in his tell-all autobiography published many years later, Andre Agassi revealed a very different image of himself. A turbulent private life, failed marriages and relationships, money and gambling problems, if you can imagine, with $100 million, and a severe addiction to methamphetamines, uh, even during his playing career. You see, like many of us, Andre Agassi created a self-portrait that he liked to show the world, an image that was just good enough for his Canon Rebel camera that he endorsed. Image is everything. But that portrait was only a half-truth. Like so many of us, Andre Agassi's whole self was really hidden from view. Well, it's easy to pick on poor Andre Agassi, Lest you think uh, that it's just him who per- participates or participated in that image is everything culture, look at this guy. Oh, there he is. I'm in the image making business too. Hey, come to Sanford. This, this fine fellow will be your president. You can ask him to do a TikTok dance with you and you might even get a ride on his golf cart. If you follow my Twitter or my Instagram feeds, uh, you'll get to know a guy that loves his family, gets to travel the world, gets to hang out with smart people and fun students, and never, ever, ever has a bad day. You'll see game scores posted for his beloved Bulldogs on Twitter, but only when they win, never when they lose. Occasionally, you'll see pictures posted with well-known celebrities or famous people, giving you the impression that we're, we're best friends. You'll also see pictures of my wonderful and very cute dog, Peanut. Perfect. But those pictures will never hint that Julie and I don't always get along, or that my children aren't perfect or that peanut compulsively digs holes in our backyard. No, you won't see Snapchat footage of me cursing when I'm frustrated or crying when I'm fearful or in agony when I have committed the same sin against God over and over and over again or lashing out at someone in anger. No, you won't see me look into the camera on Facebook and admit that I sometimes don't always feel like I'm qualified to hold my job, that I'm inadequate or unworthy, it, it seems to me at times, to lead Samford, or that the heat and the humidity in Birmingham is killing me. <laughs> no, you see, like Andre Agassi, I get sucked into the image-making culture, too. I don't show my whole self to you. I don't show my whole self to anyone else for that matter. And in fact, at times I have trouble showing my whole self to God. But back to the Psalms. The psalmist doesn't do that. You see, rather than being in the image-making business, King David, who is the author of most of the psalms, we think, King David uh, has the courage. He has the humility. He has the honesty to reveal himself, his true self to God. No, he's not in the image-making business. King David is in the image-bearing business. He bears uh, the image of one who is intimately known by God. He bears the image of one whom God pursues Relentlessly, David bears the image of someone God lovingly and uniquely created. And finally, David bears the image of one who pursues and delivers David ultimately. How can David be so confident? How can David be so confident to bring his whole self to these verses in the Psalms? And and where is Jesus in all of this? I offer you this morning that David is confident of four things about God, and I think that we can take confidence in these things as well, particularly as I encourage us to break free from the image-making business and to bring our whole selves to God. So first, God knows us. God knows us intimately. Reading from Psalm 139, starting in verse 1. David writes, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are equ- acquainted with all of my ways. And even before a word is on my tongue, O oh Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, David writes. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Psychologists tell us that one of our deepest human needs, our deepest human desires is to be known, to be truly known, to be fully known. For someone to know us completely, inside and out, and then to love us irrespective, of our foils and our faults. That is why the image-making culture that we have, especially on social media, I would add, why it fails us at the end of the day. You see, no matter how many times we, we post that image, that platform only encourages us to be partly known. The good parts only pleased, not everything else. We only want to see the good things. We don't want to see the rest. But fortunately, God doesn't just follow our Facebook pages. God knows me. He knows us. He knows our routines. He knows when we're tired, when we feel burdened. God knows our thoughts. He knows what gets us excited, what wakes us up in the morning. He knows our passions. He knows what makes us anxious and scared. He knows what we will say even before the words have crossed our minds. And look at how much joy that brings to David. Just knowing that he's known by God, his whole self, warts and all, that brings David indescribable joy. David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high I cannot attain it. There's There's no need for image-making with God. No need for keeping up appearances. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And that brings David, and it brings us comfort and joy and confidence. We bear the image of a God who already knows us intimately. Second, God pursues us. We bear the image of a God who pursues us relentlessly. Reading on in verse 7, David writes, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become as night... Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you, David writes. You see, one of the reasons why God knows us so intimately is because God is always with us. God never departs our presence, no matter what. But here's the rub. To be that well-known by God, to be so well-known by God might cause some of us To flee him we saw that in the garden didn't we with Adam and Eve if God knows me and he knows all of me the good the bad the ugly then maybe I'm I'm too embarrassed when I sin or maybe I feel like I'm not worthy of God's love it might feel better if I just ignore God or pretend God doesn't exist or maybe even I'll allow this is me Busyness or distraction into my life. Some others allow addiction to crowd out God in their lives. Fortunately, God doesn't take no for an answer. Scripture teaches us that God's love pursues us, pursues us no matter where we try to flee. You see, Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. Jesus didn't die for us because We were already one with him. No, Jesus died for us because we had already fled his presence. And his death was the only way we could find a path back to him. Or I would say it maybe slightly differently, uh, probably more theologically correct. Jesus' death was the only way God could find a path back to us. God knows us. God pursues us. Third, God creates us, created us. He lovingly and carefully and uniquely created each one of us. We bear the image of the one who is our creator. Reading on in Psalm 139, starting at 13, David writes, For it was you, God, who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know you very, that I know very well. My frame was hidden from you when I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them, they are more than the sand, and when I come to the end, I am still with you, David writes. Another reason why God knows us so very well, why God chooses to pursue us, of course, is that God was involved in every detail of our creation, of becoming who we are. Have you ever just pondered the scope of the universe, the created order, the complexity of of the universe by human measurement the universe is nearly 14 billion years old its diameter is 91 billion light years it contains 300 sextillion stars pastor i had to look that one up that's one with 21 zeros 100 billion galaxies like our own milky way Honestly, these are numbers that I think very few of us can comprehend. They're so vast. But that same complexity works the other way, too. Plants and animals are infinitely complex in their design and in their manufacture. As we zoom in with a microscope, life doesn't get simpler, it gets even more complex in design. We know this God is a masterful creator of life, and his most masterful creation, he assures us in Scripture. The only thing that bears his own image is, of course, us, humanity. St. Augustine writes this. He says, people, you know, they go abroad to wonder at the height of the mountains and at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the oceans, at the circular motion of the stars, and yet, and yet pass by themselves without even wondering. The human body we know alone contains billions of cells, complex systems, an intricate balance of elements and chemicals and enzymes. The human brain, something we know relatively little about, is the most complex computer ever devised. It carries out millions of computations, calculations per second while also giving us the ability, the capacity to express emotions like love and fear joy and sadness. The same God, the same God that created the intricacies of the universe also created King David and you and me. He knows us and he pursues us because his very hands crafted us. Scripture tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by the hand of God and that creation doesn't stop when we're just formed in our mother's womb, but our creation extends even to the days of our lives, which God, we're told, here has ordained. And through Jesus Christ, we know that that creation extends to our recreation as we become more like Christ by God's grace. We are God's creation. We are God's recreation. God knows us, he pursues us, and by his hands, he has crafted us with his love. We can bring our whole selves to God without reservation. No need for image making with God because we are a reflection already of God's handiwork. And finally, because God created us, knows us, and pursues us, God will be faithful to deliver us. Finish with me in Psalm 139 starting at 19. David writes, Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me, those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. So search me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts, David writes. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, many sermons, it's been my experience on Psalm 139, stop at verse 18. But I think to do so would be a mistake. It would be to ignore an important truth about the world and about ourselves. You see, unlike God, there are those around us, including and especially Satan, who want us to fall, who want us to fail. Our first nature, I've I've argued this morning, our first nature is to turn away from God, to flee from God's presence, or at the very least, bring less than our whole selves to God. And there are many people, there are many influences in our lives that encourage us to do just that. But God's love God's love for us is so strong that it delivers us from harm. From those who would turn us away from him, God even protects us from ourselves. You see, we bear the image of one who is our deliverer, who is our savior, who is our rescuer. So friends, once again, I ask, where where is Jesus in all of this? Well, we know We know uh, in Psalm 139, we see the love of Christ. Jesus was there at creation. The Son of God created us just like he created the universe. And how much more does he love us, those who are made in his likeness, than the rest of creation? Jesus pursues us. Jesus chased us to the cross where he gave his life for ours Jesus knows us. We needn't fear giving our whole selves to him because we know ultimately Jesus will deliver us. Friends, image is everything. But it's not our image, but Christ's image in us that matters most. Let us not be image makers, but rather let us be image bearers, bearing the image of the one who made us, who pursues us, bearing the image of the one who knows us and who will ultimately deliver us. Let us bring our whole selves to the Lord.